The Old Testament reading is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And now let's turn to our New Testament reading, which is also our sermon text this morning. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Uh, The prophecy that we heard from... Isaiah is just one of many uh, promises given uh, to the people of God in the Old Testament that God would raise up for them a king, a son of David who would rule over them forever. And no doubt when uh, Mary heard the words of the angel Gabriel uh, telling her that uh, she would give birth uh, to this king and and be the mother of this great king, uh, that this promise uh, was very much in her heart and mind. So let's... uh, here, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, what do you think of when you hear uh, the term the Christmas spirit? Uh, What comes to your mind or how would you define that? Uh, Is the Christmas spirit... Um, drinking eggnog and and singing Christmas carols as you decorate the Christmas tree? Or is the Christmas spirit uh, giving generously to the various charities that try to help uh, the poor and disadvantaged? Or maybe the Christmas spirit is all about a personal uh, transformation, a change of heart. Uh, This is certainly the idea of of most uh, Christmas movies. Uh, Somehow, uh, the Christmas spirit whatever that is, 
transforms the, the selfish jerk at the beginning of the movie uh, to a kind-hearted and generous person uh, by the end of the movie. I'd like to suggest a different understanding of what we might call the Christmas spirit. And this is based on the account uh, that we read in Matthew's gospel of the wise men who traveled uh, far from the east uh, to see uh, the king of Israel. And what did they do when the wise men who were following the star, when that star came to rest above the place where uh, Jesus was with Mary, uh, what did the wise men do at that point? Uh, Matthew tells us this in Matthew 2.11. They fell down and worshipped him. Uh, Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the wise men, when they came to the baby Jesus, they worshipped. They fell down and gave him a reverence and worship. And they did this because they knew that this baby, that this child was born the king of Israel. They knew that he deserved their adoration, uh, their submission, their reverence and worship. And this is the biblical idea or the biblical version of the Christmas spirit. This is the true, authentic Christmas spirit. It is a heart of reverence and submission to Jesus as the true king. Uh, During this Advent season, we've been looking at the three offices that Jesus Christ fulfills as our Savior. Uh, Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. Uh, Jesus is our prophet in that he uh, declares to us the will of God for our salvation. He makes known to us what we need to know in order to be saved. Uh, Jesus is our priest in that he once offered himself upon the cross, a sacrifice to take away our sins forever. Uh, Jesus is also our priest in that he makes continual intercession for us before the Father. And Jesus is also our king. He is our king. This is what we'll consider this morning. Uh, Jesus is our king in that he rules over us by his word and spirit. In our, our proud and sinful human nature... Uh, This may be the most difficult uh, aspect of uh, the the offices of Jesus for us. This may be the most difficult for us to to accept. Um, We're glad to hear the teaching of Jesus uh, regarding our salvation. Uh, We're happy to hear that Jesus died for our sins. But we're not always so willing or so glad to hear that as our king, Jesus demands our obedience. He demands our submission to him, our reverence to him. We must submit to his righteous rule over us. And as we celebrate uh, the birth of Christ uh, at this time, at Christmas time, as we remember the birth of Jesus, we must give him thanks not only for being our prophet, for being our priest, but also like the wise men, we must come to Jesus and bow down before him. Uh, receive him as our king and and submit to his rule over us. And so with that in mind, let's consider what it means uh, that Christ was born to be our king. And just like the last two times that we considered uh, the offices of uh, the prophet of Jesus or Jesus as prophet and priest, we we asked uh, a series of questions and answered them. And we'll proceed in that way this time as well. So first we'll ask, uh, what is a king? Uh, Secondly, why do we need a king? And thirdly, how is Jesus uh, our king? So first of all, what is a king? 
Now, I think we all have a pretty good idea of what a king is. I think most of us could uh, define a king pretty accurately. It's, he's a ruler, or, or she, I suppose, a queen, is a ruler who reigns over a people uh, with sovereign authority and power. Uh, now, these days, there aren't many people, or not many rulers in the world that we refer to as kings. Uh, of course, Great Britain has a king, and some other European countries, they still have a monarchy, but those, so they have kings and queens and princes and so on. But they are largely figureheads. They don't have real political power. But there are uh, plenty of dictators who rule in our world, who rule their nations with the same kind of absolute uh, power and, and sovereignty that was possessed by a traditional king. And so when the Bible says that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, uh, it is saying that Jesus and his divine power and might and authority, that he is the absolute ruler over even the most powerful, uh, most um, influential rulers in this world. And what a comfort that is to know that Jesus is Lord over even the most powerful and even the most evil uh, rulers in this world. Uh, it is a comfort to know that our modern day kings, uh, such as Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping, uh, and over every other ruler in this world, that Jesus reigns over them as sovereign Lord. And not only that, he makes these rulers and all rulers to fulfill his wise and holy purposes. Uh, Proverbs 2.11 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And so Jesus is Lord over all things, over all people, even over the most powerful, the most, the most, uh, um, um, the, the most influential rulers in the world. And they all unwittingly, uh, whether they realize it or not, they fulfill the will of King Jesus. Now, to better understand the nature of the kingship of Christ, it's helpful to consider uh, what was the role of the king uh, for the people of God in the Old Testament days of Israel. Now, God gave uh, human kings uh, to rule over his people, but uh, the true king of Israel was always the Lord himself. God was always the true king of his people. Um, it was the Lord who rescued, or it was the Lord who chose Israel to be his people. It was the Lord who rescued his people from their bondage uh, to Pharaoh in Egypt. It was the Lord who entered into a covenant with his people after he delivered them uh, from Egypt uh, to be their God and to make them his people. It was the Lord who gave them his law for their, obe for their obedience. And so God, the Lord, he was always the sovereign monarch, the king over his people. And one implication of that truth is, is that when God did give a permanent royal dynasty uh, to the people of Israel, which he did, beginning with David, that these kings would only rule as the instruments or the means by which God himself would reign over his people. And so, in other words, God's will for a king for his people was to be the human administrator of his divine rule. Uh, the king of Israel was never anything more than a vice regent or a deputy of the Lord himself who was king over Israel. And so for this reason, the most faithful kings in Israel, they were the kings who not only walked in obedience to the Lord in their, in their personal life, 
But they were the kings who faithfully administered the law of God and ruled over the people of God according to the will of God with righteousness and justice. And this idea, keep that idea in mind uh, later as we consider the kingship of Christ. It will, we will come back to it. But uh, a king over the people of God in the Old Testament was always only a, a, an instrument by which the Lord himself, the Lord himself would rule over his people. So, uh, what is a king? A king is a ruler who reigns over a people with sovereign authority and power. But in the context of the people of God, he was uh, the one who carried out God's rule over his people. So that brings us to the next question. Why do we need a king? Uh, The best way to answer this question is, again, to uh, look back to the Old Testament, the history of Israel. And uh, what's very instructive here is we consider why do we need a king is to look at the book of Judges. Um, As you know uh, from your own reading of the Bible, uh, the book of Judges is not always very pleasant reading. It is a very dark, very grim picture of the moral, of the spiritual condition of the people of Israel before God gave them a king to rule over them. And the book describes the a downward spiral of the people of Israel into greater and greater depths of depravity and godlessness and the root cause of that incredible spiritual and moral corruption of the people of Israel. Uh, the root cause of it is summed up by the author of Judges in the very last uh, sentence of the book, which says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right. In his own eyes, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that is a description of what would be true of us as well. If we did not have a king to rule over us, if God gave us free reign to do everything that seemed right in our own eyes, if we had no king to rule over us spiritually, the result that we too, the result would be that we too would be plunged into the the same kind of depravity and spiritual darkness that is described for us in the book of Judges. In our sin, if we are to be ruled uh, by the passions of our hearts, by the dictates of our human wisdom and reason, naturally and inevitably, we will rush headlong into all kinds of evil and wickedness. That's what happens when everyone does what is right in his own eyes. When there is no king to rule over us. In fact, as we learned several months ago, we, we've been going through the book of Romans. And several months ago, we looked at Romans chapter 1. And one of the ways in which God brings judgment upon a people is to do that very thing, is to give them over to their sinful desires. To give them a kind of, quote, freedom from himself so that they would be led by their sinful passions. But that is a dreadful judgment of God because that only means abject slavery to sin and to to moral depravity. And so it's because of our sin. It's because of our inability to rule ourselves, to govern ourselves, that we need a king to rule over us for our good. And we also need a king to defeat our enemies. Sin, the powers of hell. Death itself, these are all our mortal enemies. And so we need a king who can win the victory for us against our foes. 
And God has given us the king that we need in his son, Jesus Christ. And so this brings us to the third question. How is Jesus our king? How is Jesus our king? And again, let's answer that question by looking to the teaching of the Old Testament. One of the promises that God gave to his people Israel was that one day he would raise up for them a son of David who would reign as king over them forever and ever. This is the promise that the Lord gave to David that we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let me just read a few verses from that chapter. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So here's the promise that God made to his people that one day he would raise up the son of David, a descendant of David, who would reign on the throne of David over the people of Israel forever and ever to be their king, to rule over them in righteousness and peace. And this is uh, the same promise that we heard from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. He prophesies of the birth of a son who would sit on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And throughout the long centuries of the history of Israel, long after uh, the Davidic dynasty and all the kings that came from David, long after that had uh, gone by the wayside, uh, long after they ceased to rule over Israel, Long after Israel was sent into exile and then returned back to the promised land, the people of God, after all those years, they still held on to those promises that God made to them that one day he would raise up the king, the son of David, to rule over them. And that brings us then to Luke chapter 1. It brings us to this little village of Nazareth in Galilee, a little over... 2,000 years ago, it brings us to a terrified teenage girl, to an angel of God, to Gabriel, who speaks to this girl. Other than the fact that she is Mary, we would not know anything about her. She was just an obscure girl from this obscure part of Israel and this sort of dark or obscure corner of the world. But it was to her that Gabriel declared that all the hopes of Israel, all the hopes that they had for this promised king, the savior, that they were about to be fulfilled. And he tells Mary that they are about to be fulfilled through her, that she will conceive in her womb of this child, that she will give birth to this king, that she will be the mother of the, of the king, the Messiah, whom God has promised his people. And so Gabriel says to Mary in verse, verses 31 to 32, in verse 33, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, when Mary heard these words, there is no doubt that 
in her heart, she understood what this meant. That the promises of her people, the hopes that they had held on to through all of these years, throughout the whole history of the nation of Israel, this promise of a coming king, this was about to be realized. It was about to come to fruition. And wonders of wonder, it would be through her. She would be the mother of this child. But the wonders didn't end there. The angel went on to tell Mary this in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be uh, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary would conceive this child as a virgin. The child would not have a human father, but the Holy Spirit would overcome her. And by the Spirit, she would conceive this child. And so the father then of this child would be none other than God himself. And because the son would be conceived by the Holy Spirit, because the father would be none other than God himself, then the child also would be none other than God himself. That is what is meant when he is called the Son of God or the Son of the Most High. That this is very God, a very God who's become flesh, who takes on humanity. And this is the child that Mary would conceive and bear and give birth to. And so for that reason, then, Jesus would be the very embodiment, the literal embodiment of what had always been true for the people of God. And that is that the true king of Israel is the Lord himself. Unlike all of the previous kings that came from David, Jesus was not just a human king administering the laws of God. He was not just the vice regent or the deputy of God to rule over God's people, but rather he was, he is the Lord himself in the flesh who came into the world to establish his reign as man over the people of God forever and ever. And so Mary was to give birth to the king. But Jesus wasn't the king that the people were expecting or that the people were hoping for. His kingdom was not exactly what they desired in a king that God had promised. At this time, the Jews were a people who were oppressed by the Romans. And so they were looking for a king who would deliver them from their oppression. They were looking for a king who would establish his political rule over the nation of Israel, who would rule from Jerusalem and save his people from their uh, Roman overlords. But Jesus came to establish a different kind of kingdom. First of all, he was born not just to rule over one nation, but he was born to rule over a people from every nation and people throughout the world. And not only that, he did not come to deliver the Israelites from their Roman oppression, but he came to deliver sinners from our spiritual oppression, from our spiritual enemies. That is Satan, sin, and death. And for that reason, the throne that Jesus came to occupy, at least the first throne that he would be placed upon, was not the throne of glory, but the first throne that Jesus would be placed upon was that throne of shame and humiliation, the cross. And it was there that King Jesus suffered and died for our sins. It was there that he established his kingdom of grace and salvation for all who come to him by faith. It was at the cross, with all of its pain, shame, and humiliation that Jesus 
proved himself to be the conqueror of our enemies, of his enemies forever, of Satan, sin, and death. And now, after Jesus was first placed upon that inglorious throne of the cross, now having been resurrected and exalted to the right hand of God the Father in heaven, he occupies that throne of glory, that majesty, and he has received from the Father all authority in heaven and on earth. And Jesus Christ, this God, who became, the God who became man, now he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. But even so, one of the wonderful truths of the Incarnation is that because of who Jesus is as the Son of God who became flesh, Jesus was the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He was Lord over all creation from the time, even from his conception, from the time of his birth, Jesus was Lord. And this is why the Magi made their their journey from the east uh, to visit the king. Not because he would be the future king of Israel, but they came to worship the one who has been born king of the Jews. In our Christmas hymn, Silent Night, Holy Night, uh, we declare this truth that Jesus, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Jesus was Lord at his birth. And so Jesus was king at his birth. He was king when he, in his crucifixion, he conquered his, his enemies, our enemies, And today, Jesus is the king of heaven and earth, and he reigns in glory. And there is nothing in all creation that is not under the sovereign rule and authority of our king, Jesus. His absolute control extends to all things. The the tiniest subatomic particle uh, that science has uh, hypothesized or discovered, uh, Jesus rules over that. Jesus rules over the the trillions upon trillions of galaxies that uh, inhabit our universe. Uh, Jesus rules over all the nations and all the people of this world, over the righteous and the unrighteous, over the good, over the evil. Uh, The Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper uh, uh, expressed uh, the lordship of Christ over all things in this way. He said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Christ declares that all is his because he is king. And Christ rules over every square inch of all creation for two grand purposes. One, in order to bring all glory to God the Father, to him as God the Son. And secondly, he rules over all things in order to bring salvation to his people. This is one of the most a wonderful truth that Scripture gives us concerning the present reign of Jesus over all things is that Jesus reigns over all specifically for the good, for the salvation of those whom he loved, those whom he died for, for his people. Uh, Ephesians 1.22 says this, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And so Jesus rules over all things for the good of his church. One theologian put it this way. Christ now rules the destinies of individuals and nations in the interest of his blood-bought church. We need to remember this. Uh, Remember this. The next time uh, you turn on your phone to check uh, the latest headlines. 
All the bad news that you hear about in this world takes place under the sovereign rule of Christ and is even being used by Christ for his holy and wise and good purposes, specifically for the salvation and for the, uh, for the securing of his people that he has saved. Even as we celebrate the birth of Christ, the one who came into the world to bring us life and hope and light, we are reminded that the world that he came into is a very uh, dark place. There is so much uh, evil, so much darkness in our world. Just in the last few years, in the last few months, we have seen a nation invade another nation unprovoked and engage in all kinds of atrocities. We've heard of terrorists committing uh, diabolical crimes against innocent people. And in the background, of course, this doesn't always make the headlines, but there is the ever-present uh, crime and addiction and abuse and broken homes. And these things cause so much untold uh, sorrow and misery and pain in the world. But even over all of this, Jesus Christ is king. He reigns over all and through all, all that is good and all that is evil for the salvation, for the blessing of his people. We don't know how he does it, but Jesus reigns in his infinite, in his perfect wisdom and authority and power uh, for the advancement of his church. And as the Lord of all, Christ rules over Satan and all the powers of hell. These are the forces that wage war against us as the people of God in this world. The Bible is very clear that we have enemies. As Christians, we have enemies, powerful enemies, enemies bent on our destruction. Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 6 verse 12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But because Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord over all, there is no enemy. There is no power of hell. There is no a devil, not even Satan himself, that can defeat us because we have a king who is stronger than they are, who rules over them for our good. And this is such good news for us because if our salvation depended upon our strength and our ability to wage war against these enemies that we have, we would all be lost. But as a Christian, you have an almighty king who fights for you. And he will conquer every foe that stands between you and eternal glory. And the hope that Christ gives us is this. That even though he now rules over all things and uses even the, the wicked and the evil in the world to advance his holy purposes, nevertheless, it is his promise, his purpose that one day... He will banish from his creation. He will banish from this world sin and evil and wickedness forever. He promises that one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And in that new creation, there will be nothing and nobody opposed to Christ and his righteousness. And this is the hope uh, that we uh, that we hear when we listen to uh, Handel's Messiah at this time of year, uh, when uh, that that famous hallelujah chorus uh, they quote from a, uh, Revelation 11, uh, verse 15. The kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And so this is where Jesus says our king is going with his rule over all things. 
He is, bringing, he is working to bring everything in subjection to him, to establish his rule in righteousness and peace and glory forever. And this is why when Jesus was born, the angels in heaven appeared to the shepherds to declare that this was good news of great joy. There could be no other greater news than this, that the king has come, the prince of peace, the Lord of glory, the king of righteousness, the God of our salvation, that he has come into the world to establish his reign and to begin that rule that will result in a new heaven to new earth with his redeemed people forever. And this is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus as our king. And if you are to have Jesus as your savior, you must also submit to him as your Lord. Jesus does demand our subjection, our submission to him. Like the wise men, we are to bow down before him and worship him. But there is no greater freedom than the freedom of being subject to this king, to King Jesus. He is the king who delivers us from our bondage to sin and death and Satan. And he is the king and the only king. He is the only Lord, the only one that we can bow down to in submission who gives us true freedom, true freedom. Freedom is not the um, freedom from any kind of authority, but freedom, true freedom, is found when we submit to the true authority, the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives you the freedom from sin. He gives you the freedom to know the blessedness of that communion that is yours with God as your Father uh, by faith in Jesus Christ. He gives you the freedom to possess and to enjoy eternal life. He is a good king. He gives, good gift. he gives us good gifts. He rules over us for our good. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And as we celebrate the birth of Christ, the question I want to ask you is, is Jesus your king today? By faith, have you received him? Do you submit to him as your Lord? What is the baby Jesus lying in the manger to you today? Is he more to you than uh, the object of Christmas sentimentality? Or like the Magi, when you come to Jesus, when you come to the baby Jesus, do you come to worship him and to bow down to him as your Savior and your Lord? Let's pray.